Acts 14, as we're continuing our walk through the book of Acts, looking at the beginnings of the church. It says there in 21, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray over the word as we receive it together today. Father, we, we do worship over your word. Uh, we thank you that as we open it, we find it to be alive and active and, and help for us today in so many aspects. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will take uh, the poverty of my remarks uh, and, and use them to encourage each heart as they have need. Illuminate to us how amazing uh, your word is and how helpful and healthy it is for us in our life and our walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, maybe a little out of place to start at the end of uh, end of the chapter uh, when we're going to cover the whole thing. But that, that text right there is just where my heart landed and it encouraged me so much. And I'll get into more of that. But it says after Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel in that town, it was talking about Derby, and we'll go back through uh, where they had been and what had been going on. It said they went back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And we'll see what happened to them there. But it says that they uh, strengthened the disciples, the learners, those that were following uh, the way of Jesus. They strengthened them by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, and this just encouraged me as you're going through hardships. And we see in the word that he says, we're going to need to endure. It's necessary. We're going to need to go through some hardships, but we are on our way into the kingdom. Amen. It, it reminded me to, to try to always look at what is it that I'm trying to make out of my life? What is it that I'm wanting my life to be? And where am I getting that from? Where am I getting that from? I want, what do we want? We want everything to be perfect. We want everything to be right. We want everything to be easy. That's what we want. And we want that every day. All we want is everything to be perfect all the time. Right? If you get down to the root of what it is that we want, that's what we want. I want everyone to treat me perfectly all the time. I want everything to go perfectly all the time. I want my kids to act perfectly all the time. I want work to go perfectly all the time. And I'm, I'm setting that expectation in my mind, whether I know it or not, that's what I'm looking at. I want everything to go perfect. And when it doesn't, what happens? I get frustrated. I get angry. I, 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 I get uh, short-tempered. And I get confused. Why is it not going perfect? Because the Lord has put in us that desire for things to go perfect. That's a good and right desire. God has put that in you. He has given you a desire for perfection. And he has not given you the ability in yourself to bring it about. And so we're, we're in there in some tension because this is what I want and this is what's going on. 
And, and that's what I believe the scripture is going to encourage, encourage us in today. What am I trying to make out of my life? Am I trying to set it or am I letting him lead me and teach me and train me and grow me up into who he would have me to be? Amen. So last week we saw Paul and Barnabas. They were sent out as missionaries from the church in Antioch. They were sent through Cyprus, through another Antioch, Pisidia, and they're preaching Jesus. And there's many receiving, right? So many that they would hear the word and they'd say, come back next week. Tell us more about what, what the Lord is saying. Tell us more about what he's done in Jesus. And then there was also opposition because there's always going to be some of both. Receivers and resistors always will be in the, the resistors even turn towards violence against Paul and Barnabas when they were in these places. And some of it's happening at the same time. And we saw them at the end of chapter 13. It said that just like Jesus taught them. When they had been expelled from the town, they shook the dust of it off their feet. And then went to Iconium. They didn't wear that rejection on them as they left. They said, OK, you reject him. That's fine. We're shaking it off and we're going on to the next place. Even though the disciples who were there were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit because they are receiving from the message that's being preached. So then we get to the beginning of chapter 14. And it says in Iconium, because that's where they went when they left. The place where they shook the dust off their shoes. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue, which, as usual, which was their normal progression. They'd start where the seekers were. They'd start where the people were that were looking for God. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Stirred them up, energetic, against them, and said, and poisoned their mind against the brothers. Have you ever had your mind poisoned to get something that ever happened to you? Somebody might have told you, don't go eat there. It's awful. Oh, it's terrible. Worst place you've ever been. I will not know why anybody would ever go there. And you stayed away and you stayed away and you stayed away. And then one time you ended up going, even though you knew you shouldn't because you heard it was so bad. And then you're like, don't seem bad at all. What they told me, I'm not really finding to be bared out here, but that's what they that's what they were seeing happen. They're preaching the goodness of God. They're preaching the truth. And there's folks out there who are stirring people up against them and poisoning their mind against the brothers. Now, watch this. So they got this going on. You got people poisoning the minds of others against you. Look what they did. Verse three. So they stayed there a long time. <laughs> they stayed there a long time. It's like this is difficult. We're not welcome with a lot of these people. I think we should stay for a while. And one, one thing, just a little side note, one thing that reminded me of is just because something's tough doesn't mean you should quit. Amen. Just because something's tough doesn't mean you should quit. Now, sometimes it does mean you should make other arrangements, and we'll see that here in a minute. But, but you don't do that just like, this is hard. I need to stop this. I need to go do something else, Right. Otherwise, nobody who's married would still be married because marriage is hard. Like it's hard. Something must be wrong with her. I got to get a new her. Right. But that's what we do. It gets hard. and We go, no, nope, hard. Well, again, what do I want? Perfect. I want things to be perfect, not just perfect, but easily perfect. Right. And so when it's not, I feel like I just need to switch it up. 
But they didn't. They said, it's hard here. There's resistance here. But they had become accustomed to it. They said, we're going to stay here a long time. And do what? Speak boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, remember they're being stirred up against them, minds being poisoned about them, who they are and what they're here to do. When it was stirred up against them, there was an attempt made by them with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. And they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding countryside. And there they continued preaching the gospel. So there are times to leave. <laughs> when it turns to abuse, it's time to go. When it turns to physical violence, they're like, okay, it's time to, it's time to go on to the next place. But they had already stayed there a long time. Yes. And then, verse 8 in Lystra, a man was sitting without strength in his feet and had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up to your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. Now, you'll see this happen. The power of God working demonstrably a lot of times in the life of someone who was in great need. And who was known by everybody in the area. Everybody in the area knew who this was. Knew he had never walked. He'd always been laid up on the side of the street. Wherever he was, he had to be carried there. The epitome of weakness and frailty. And hearing the message, something began to change on the inside of him. And it said, Paul, who's sharing the message, could see it on his face. Could see that he had the faith to be healed and made whole. And he told him, get up. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in their own language, the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifices. Now, whenever God would heal somebody in these areas, we usually see a reaction, don't we? We saw that at the gate. Beautiful. When, when Peter was able to preach the message there, the lame man was healed. And he's in there jumping and leaping and praising God. There's a reaction and there's a drawing to God. But these folks see this healing and they say the Greek gods have come down among us. Here they are. That, that's that's got to be Zeus. He's the head guy. He's not saying very much. This is Hermes. He's the herald of the gods. Paul, he's the one who's speaking. And so they, they see this. And their reaction is wrong. They, they think this is the God of thunder and the herald of the gods. The gods have come down to us in human form, which tells me even though they were pagan, what were they looking for? God to be incarnate and be among them. God to be incarnate on the earth, to walk among them, to be in their midst. That's what they were looking for, even though they were looking for it the completely wrong way. And they're saying it in a different language. So I don't think our boys caught on to it at first. They're saying it in their own language. They're like hooping and hollering. And the guys are probably thinking, this is going really good. Right. And this guy starts rolling in and he's the priest from the temple of Zeus. And he's bringing bulls to sacrifice and reeds. And they start to figure out, whoa, hold on. They think that we're somebody that we are not. 
It says the apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, people, why are you doing these things? We're people also just like you. And we're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Listen, people may misunderstand the message. They may misunderstand your life in Christ until they get on the same page. And they may even try to lift you up like you're something. They may even try to point you like, hey, look, they're awesome. Aren't they great? Let's follow them. And we see that happening more and more. A, a man or a woman will be put up on a podium because they're a, a great speaker, because the Lord has done something through them to benefit others. And then they become the focus and that becomes a problem. And it became a problem. It was beginning to become a problem here. And the boys real quick realized that once they realized what was going on, they said, we have to address this and speak very quickly. Because if you remember just a couple chapters ago, what happened to Herod when he went up and spoke and they said, this isn't a man speaking to us. This is God speaking to us himself. And he didn't correct them. He didn't back up from that. He embraced it. And then he died. <laughs> Eaten by worms died. Bad died. And so I'm sure there was a little bit of remembrance of that. Plus, they're just regretting that this has happened. They're like, we thought it was going good. God healed this man. And all of a sudden, this has turned into something that it shouldn't have been. And he said to them, no, 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 no. Don't put us up on anything. We are what? We are people just like you. We are people just like you. The only difference is we're here with the good news. So I love it that he didn't put up a front. He didn't uh, he didn't adopt this and go, I'm going to try to use this attention that they're giving me and then turn it towards God. Because we'll hear that, too. Well, yeah, this this is my platform and this is how I use it. It's like, oh, you better watch it. You just better be careful because the bigger the platform gets, the harder it's going to hurt you if you fall off of it. Amen. And so he said, there, there's there's no difference between us and you, except I've already found the good news and I'm here to share it with you. And look what he told them that it was. He said, the good news is that we're proclaiming to you is that you would turn from these worthless, vain things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and everything in them. Turn from these worthless things. What th these imaginings of these false gods turn from these thoughts of Zeus and Hermes and, and all of this mythology that you've developed and turned to the true and living God, the maker of heaven and earth and see and everything pointing out to them because these were people that believed in many gods. He wanted them to know this is not just another God. This isn't just another one for you to put on your shelf. This is the only one. This is the true and living God. This is God almighty created everything that you see, everything that you know. He made it. And they had turned from him to lesser things. And he's saying, it's time to reverse that. It's time to reverse that. You're seeking these lesser things, things that are devoid of truth, things that are devoid of force, things that are devoid of success or devoid of results. You're turning to these lesser things and ignoring the ultimate thing. 
And it shows me again that we all have the same need. These weren't people that grew up in Jerusalem around the temple that would have known the things that Paul and Barnabas knew. But yet the answer to their situation and their condition was the same. And it also shows me it's another testament to the fact that there are not many ways to the kingdom. He didn't go and hear from them. Oh, no, they love Zeus and Hermes. They'll be fine. That's just another way to God. That's just another way into the kingdom. What did he tell them? Turn from these worthless things, these things that are not going to get you what you think they're going to get you and turn to the true and living God, the true and living God who in past generations, verse 16, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness. Since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. But he says in past generations, the Lord let the nations go their own way. Right. He had the nation of Israel. That was his personal people. And he said the other nations were going their own directions as they saw fit, but they were not without the witness that God was there. They weren't without the witness that he was there because he did what is good even to those who were far off. He did what was good by giving you what rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. Let you grow crops, let you live life, let, let you have food in your belly and, and, and feel some measure of Joy. And, and then when they saw this and they experienced this, instead of knowing him, they crafted gods in their own image that they could say they could give credit to for what the true God had done. Right. Because you look back through. Well, this we, we have rain. This is the God that's in charge of the rain. Where did it come from? We just, you know, kind of thought of it. We just kind of developed it. We're working on it. And they had all of these things that they would attribute. Yeah, this one did this. This one did this. And he's telling them all of that you've misattributed and it's worthless. He's the one that's done it all for you. And he did it even when you were far from him and didn't know who he was. Even the basic things that we receive and that we enjoy in this world testify of God's grace. Remember last week, it's always been a relationship of grace. It's always been a relationship of grace and they're being invited into this. And he's telling them, even though you didn't notice it, uh, you, you didn't pick up on it. He, he was not without a witness that he was there. Right. Romans one tells us the same thing. Creation itself testifies of God. That's why you can be in nature and be moved yeah. emotionally. That's why you can be out in it and just go. That it can amaze us and bless us. Not, not knowing God at all, you can still enjoy that. It, it, it interests us. We're always getting out in it. We're always trying to, trying to see more of it. And we're always in awe of it. It's why you can walk out on your front porch or in your front yard and see the sunset and just stand there. Man, look at how beautiful this is. It's because he made it. It's because he put it in place and he also made you. And there's some congruity there. There's some recognition there. He connected us together, even with creation all the way in the beginning. Look at the things God connected mankind with in the beginning. First himself. Right. Communion with God, the father. 
Second, he rightfully connected us with our own selves, our soul, our psyche, everything about us, unbroken, unblemished, untarnished, perfect. Imagine what that would be like to have a perfect view of yourself, a right view of yourself, a healthy view of yourself that didn't waver. He also connected us with one another. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And he put another with him. That we could rightly commune with one another where I'm not worried about what I'm getting and are you getting more than I'm getting and I got to get my own. There was perfect communion with one another. And then what else was there? Communion with creation, what God had made. Creation rightfully subdued under the, under the loving hand of God's viceroy. So he connected us with himself. He, he, he connected us with ourselves, with one another, and with creation. And sin fractured every single one of those. It broke every single one of them. First, it, it, it disconnected them from God. Remember, they ran and hid. Why did they run and hide? Because their soul, their, their psyche had been fractured. All of a sudden, where there was no shame, now there was shame. And then what happened? It disconnected from each other because when it came time to put blame on somebody, what happened? It wasn't like it was me. No, it was that woman that you gave me caused all this trouble. And then she said, no, that snake that you made that was in the garden. That's what happened. It's a disconnection. And then finally, they were driven out of God's garden and told what? The, the earth isn't going to work with you anymore. You're going to have to work yet. It's not going to partner with you anymore. You're not going to be in right communion even with the, the, the grounds anymore where it was bringing up stuff easily. It's like it won't be easy anymore. Y'all are going to be wrestling together for a while now. And all of those things, all the fractures, we all feel them. Every single one of us. And they all felt it too. And that's why he's coming at them with this, he's like, Let, let's start with just how you how you think about and know nature that came from him. And here's how it's supposed to be. And here's what's wrong with it. God had created us to be in that right relationship with him. And, and Paul's letting them know y'all haven't known him. And you've even created other things to worship instead of him. Y'all are going to try to sacrifice to us. You're going to try to burn a bull in front of me. And I'm just a man like you. You're giving credit to others for what only God has done. And yet, to, yet this whole time, he's kept the rain falling and he's kept the food growing and he's kept you being able to eat food, kept tasting good. Even to a sinner, food tastes good. To a believer, it rolls up from just tasting good to worship to God. Next level, that's the difference. But even the sinner, the food tastes good. That's a common grace that they even get to enjoy during this time on the earth. And Paul's telling them the good news is that you can turn from these worthless things, vain things to the true and living God. Turn from this rebellion, this worship of other things, these false things, lesser things, vain things to the true and living God. OK, so somebody got healed. Paul just preached this so short but amazing message of grace Let's see what happened next. Verse 18, even though they said these things, they barely stopped them from sacrificing them. So it was close. 19, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. That's where they had been. That's where the trouble was. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. 
after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. So this is happening. He's preached this message. And then he gets stoned, they think, to death. Stoned to death. Now, does this sound like the picture of a victorious believer? <laughs> victorious life of a believer, right? Now, I'm just picking, but right, that, that's how we can see things. We, we look at the first part of that little section in Leicester. It's like, yeah, they showed up and there's this man there and the man had faith and the man got healed and he got up. We're like, yes. And then the same man who spoke to him saw that faith in his eyes. At the end of that little passage, he's getting stoned to death. They think he leaving him for dead, drug out of the city after being stoned and then just left laying. And we hear that part. And we're like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I want the first part. Yes. Whoo, Lord, bring it. And we, we, we don't always look down to that last part and go, yeah, then they started throwing enough rocks that they thought they killed him and drug him out of town and left him for dead. But you see, the persecution had followed them as they were going, came from the other towns, hunted them down. A little ironic because he, he was trying to do that earlier in the book. Remember? See, for us, even if they were just talking bad about us, we'd be ready to wilt most of the time, wouldn't we? Like, yeah, I was telling the truth. And then they just said that they didn't like me anymore. <laughs> right? Ready to wilt. Not, I'm not talking about me. Yes. When people start talking bad about us, we're like, I mean, <sighs> he got stoned till they thought he was dead. Left him for dead. And it reminded me, remember on Bible study Wednesday night, we were in chapter nine and Jesus told Ananias before he went to see Saul, he said, I'm going to use him, but I'm going to show him he's going to suffer for my name. He will suffer for following me. And then we see that happen. But then look what he did. It said that the other disciples gathered around him again. Was he dead? Raised? I don't know. It just says they thought he was dead. They gathered around him. He got up, walked back into the city again. Just the confidence here in Christ going, I'm going to go back in that same city. The one they just drug you out of and left you for dead. Yeah, I'm going back in there. And then he left from there with Barnabas and went to Derby. And then that was where that gets us back to the text we read at the beginning. In verse 21, after they had preached the gospel in that town, what the one that he left the, the stone in town to go to and made many disciples. Then look what they did. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. They went back through all of these places. Why? Because there were believers there. The church was there. There were folks there that were seeking and serving Jesus. And they went back through to encourage them, strengthening, verse 22, the disciples, by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It, the language that they strengthened the souls of the believers by encouraging them to continue in the faith and telling them that it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, y'all hear me say this all the time. That one's not on any coffee cups in the Christian bookstore, is it? You don't see that one. It is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We don't put that on there. 
I, I want to read something else to you that he, Paul wrote later. And I've read part of it before. I'm going to back up because it's going to have a little bit uh, more context to it. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verse 10, he's talking to Timothy and says, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and my endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me where in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, what we just read about. What persecutions I endured and yet the Lord rescued me from all. Verse 12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, will experience hardship, will have suffering. All those who want to live a godly life in Christ will experience these things. In Christ, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have tribulations. In this world you will have hardships. In this world you will experience suffering. But be courageous, I've conquered the world. We won't even read some of the passages in Peter when he talks about suffering. But this message that they're sharing with the body as they're going back through these towns, continuing the faith, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It was meant to encourage them and it was successful in encouraging the disciples there. Why? Why do you think it was encouraging for them to hear that? That you must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. It strengthened their souls. Why do you think it strengthened their souls? Because they were going through tough times. Because they were dealing with suffering. They were dealing with hardships and they probably thought it was just them. They probably thought something was wrong with them. They probably thought they weren't doing something right because they were dealing with some tough and difficult days. Which, side note here, isn't it amazing, and I've said this before and I'll, I'll keep saying it, the gospel continued forth even though the people who were believing on the gospel were dealing with suffering and persecution. Right? How many things have you followed after where the guy who was trying to get you into it got stoned almost to death and you're like, I'm signing up. I'm going to get in on that. Not he wasn't your family. It wasn't like I got to. He's my brother. I got here we go. I got to throw my lot in with him. You owe this guy nothing. He just showed up off the street and started sharing with you this good news that got rocks thrown at him. And yet. More coming, more showing up, more hearing and receiving the message of the kingdom and turning away from worthless things to Jesus Christ. It's not, hey, come and everything's going to be great. Hey, come and it'll be. This. It's like, hey, come. There's going to be some tough times. There's going to be some hard times. But even when it's tough, what are they telling them? Don't quit. Don't quit. Continue in the faith. Look, suffering and disappointment and difficulty in this life isn't just possible. It's not just probable. It is certain. It's going to happen. You're going to experience instances, times, even seasons of difficulty in your life. Suffering in this life. Count on it. It's going to happen. Jesus said, I'm telling you this so in me you'll have 
peace, that you won't twist off when it gets tough, that you won't just throw up your hands and curse God, that you will know I already told you it's going to be difficult, but I am there in the middle of it with you. He's with us. He's here. Difficulty is certain. He is so much more certain. The fact that it's going to be difficult is established, but the fact that he is in it with us is even more certain. And you can be thinking about some of this when you're hearing this like, man, it's hard to follow Christ. It, it can be hard to follow Christ. And it's so much harder not to. Don't act like it's easier not to. It is so much harder to turn to worthless things because you, you are not you never get past those disconnects and those fractures on the inside of you. Nothing else can fix them but him. And it only gets worse the further you get from him. It may sound like it's difficult. It is difficult. Through many hardships, you enter the kingdom. But it's so much harder to be without him. It's so much harder to be without him. There will be hardships in this life. Some of them brief, some of them not so brief. And they're painful and they're difficult. And they, they're varied and they're mostly individual, which means you're standing by yourself in it. Amen. It happens. But he is certain. He is also established. He is present and he is ever faithful. He is ever faithful. Even when we don't feel the comforts that we normally feel, you know, that, that's what you, what, they, they labeled it a long time ago. I'm in a dark night of the soul, right? Meaning I'm not feeling the normal pleasures and comforts that I normally experience that I normally feel when, when I'm close to him. I'm not feeling that right now. It, 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 there's a gap there. It, it's, like I, it's like I just can't reach to where he is because I'm in this season of darkness. When we, when we don't feel it, we have the peace and comfort of Scripture telling us that nevertheless, he is close, that he has not left us. We are not alone. We are not in it by ourselves. He is tenderhearted and gentle to the struggling faithful. He is Always. That's who he is. And that's what he does. He is right there with us. He's not just waiting on the other side of difficulty for us, hoping maybe we make it through so then he can hang out with us again. He's right there in the middle of it with us. And not just a little bit, but completely. And that's their encouragement to the brothers here is Continue in the faith, even through difficulty. Continue in the faith, even through hardships. Continue in the faith. Don't let go. Don't turn back to lesser, worthless things. Because he's the only one that answers the problem that is us, right? That we were created to be with him in right relationship. And when we're not, that fracture hurts us. We were created to in him be a complete soul. Not fractured, not, not, not broken, not, not uh, need, needing to be put back together, but being together. And when we're away from him, we're more and more broken and it hurts us. And same thing with one another. Look, what, what did he do? Christ rose from the dead and he said, I'm leaving. Boy, what am I going to do? He's going to join us together by his spirit and not just the folks that were alike, not just the folks that had been following him, but Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and then to the othermost parts of the earth. 
He's like, I'm going to renew this connection that you're supposed to have with one another in me. I'm going to renew this communion that you're supposed to have with one another in me. And then finally, at, at the end, we see creation renewed and put back in right and proper order with the chaos removed. The chaos done away with. He satisfies all of these things with us. As we saw in line, they were broken. You know, him, us, others, even nature. In line, he restores them. Him, us, others, and eventually the whole world. The new heavens and the new earth. Everything put back to right. And he's telling them worthless things can't address those. <laughs> worthless things, vain things can't heal those wounds. They can distract us for just a little bit. But then the other side of that distraction we're hurt even more. Whatever it is we try to replace him with, we suffer under the insufficiency of that thing. He is the only one that can answer those issues for us. Think about it. Jesus came to earth. I read about that in Philippians. What, did he, what was his communion and his relationship with God the Father? Perfect, complete, whole, right? What was his perspective on himself? He had an unbroken soul. It had, not, it had not been tarnished by sin. It had not been fractured by it. Has anybody ever walked the earth that loved other people more than Jesus did? Nope. Nope. He even showed that he had dominion over nature. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He was able to take just a few loaves and a few fish and feed everybody. Why? Because it was working with him. It had no choice but to. Because the boss was in town. He came and he, in him, he bore all of those things. And then he died your death for you and me. And then he rose from the dead to show that his sacrifice was sufficient. He was raised, seated at the right hand of God Almighty. And then sent us the spirit, the very breath of God to dwell on the inside of us, to start putting those wrong things right, one at a time, for our life here to be perfected in eternity, the true and living God. Everything else is worthless, and He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And we strengthen ourselves and are encouraged to continue in the faith, even though we hear through many hardships, you'll enter the kingdom of God. Through many hardships, we'll enter the kingdom of God. When those times are tough, when things are difficult, when we don't understand, when we're feeling directly the results of these fractures, we hold to Him. Our hope is in Him. We continue in faith, in him. We don't turn to others. We don't turn to ourselves. We turn to Him. Amen? Amen? It's hard. It's hard to be a believer. It's so much harder not to be. It's so much harder not to be. I better stop. Let's pray. Father, you, 
You know us more than we could ever know ourselves. And you sent us our perfect and right answer, complete and total in Jesus Christ. He checked all the boxes. In all the places we're broken, he was whole. And he came and he laid down, emptied himself for us to become in the likeness of a servant. To serve us even though we were his enemies. To love us even though we were rebels against his name. And to redeem us though we had done nothing to deserve it. Father, I thank you that, that we found the good news to turn from worthless things. All the things we, we would think in this world might satisfy those fractures we find in our relationship with you and our knowledge of ourselves, and our communion with others. And God, in our interaction with your created world, all the things that we think are going to make that OK. We know you're the only one that can. And I thank you that you made a way for us. And Lord, when we go through difficult, trying times, which we know that we will. Paul told Timothy to endure hardship together like good soldiers in Christ Jesus. We know that the times are going to be hard, but we know that you're better. We know that suffering can be expected, but we know that you're always good. And we encourage ourselves in the faith and we continue on the path that you placed us on, knowing that it's in you we find true peace and rest and ultimate salvation for every part of us. Lord, don't let us be tempted to turn to lesser, worthless things instead of you. Because they are, are deceitful in what they promise and they don't bring it about. I thank you that as we get ready to go today, we go to, with, with, in peace and unity together with each other and encouraged and built up knowing that you are always with us. You never forsake us and you're always good. And I think as we go into this week, whatever it is we may face, we know that you are close. And Lord, I thank you for the times when we feel that, that, that close proximity to you and we feel all the comforts that come along with it. And Lord, I thank you for your word that even when we don't feel it, we know that it's still true and we can remain confident. And God, I thank you for what you're doing. I think that as we go forth into this community, you, go, you send us out with open eyes so that we can be a blessing to others. Not so they'll pick us up and put us on a pedestal, but so they will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, just as the Savior said. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are and the beautiful name of Jesus that you've given us. Thank you for the good news in his name. Amen.